everyone, Siobhan Chapman here, and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's Friday morning, which means it's time for the weekend review and preview conversation, where my guests will recap how markets have performed over the past few sessions and preview what you can expect in the week ahead. Today's conversation primarily focuses on fixed income markets and a look ahead to the likeliness of a government shutdown. Joining me for the conversation, I'm glad to welcome back both Frank Salejo and Barry McAlinden, Senior Fixed Income Strategist from the UBS Chief Investment Office. Frank, Barry, it's great to have you both back. Let's get started. Barry, can you recap some of the notable events of the past week? The market was focused quite a bit on the move higher in interest rates. So this week, it was really the longest part of the maturity spectrum where we saw the highest rise in rates. 30-year Treasury yields uh, moved up towards the 4.7% level. Um, but when you look back over the course of the past month and even uh Starting at the end of July, we've seen a substantial move higher in Treasury yields. Thinking about the 10-year was at a level of 375 in late July, you know, and was up at 4.6% uh, midweek, which is a new cycle high. So I think uh, the market focus was on yields, and, and I think risk assets were taking cues, you know, from the movement in the rates market. Maybe I'll just Add that in terms of, you know, why we think rates moved higher this week. When you look at what was driving rates, it really was more so on the side of real yields rather than inflation expectations. And, you know, still think the market really is kind of factoring in that better growth environment, you know, really that the Fed reinforced at its meeting last week by, you know, raising the estimates for GDP growth in its summary of economic projections. Uh, as far as the amount of easing that the Fed expects, as messaged by the median dots, you know, those were reduced. Uh, now only 50 basis points of cuts they expect by the end of next year. So I think, you know, the markets and treasuries are still digesting this and, and maybe, you know, overshot uh, a little bit on the upside in terms of yields, just, uh, you know, because of the how quickly yields had moved up. Um, in terms of other economic data releases, I would just touch upon, you know, uh, indicators that really confirm the strength of the economy. When you look at durable goods, they were up 0.2% last month. Um, there was a revision of second quarter GDP that was uh, the same at a 2.1% annualized rate. Uh, and then as it relates to the housing uh, data uh, that came in this week, you know, showing home prices up um, on the margin. But new home sales uh, were down to a five-month low. And I would point out, too, uh, CIO has a fantastic report uh, out this week authored by John Wallace entitled Answering Sex Burning Questions on U.S. Real Estate uh, for those listeners who you know, really want to focus in US on our CIO views as it relates to real estate. Um, so overall, um, still confirming strength of the economy. Um, I didn't touch upon probably the most important release of the week, though, which came out this morning. And for that, I'll turn it over to Frank. Well, thanks, Barry. I appreciate that. Yeah, we did. We're, we're finishing up the week uh, on a on a good note with some good news, which is great. But before I get to that, you know, as Barry mentioned, um, interest rates have really been the story really since the end of July, as Barry mentioned, uh, with with Treasury rates surging uh, since that since that time, over that time period, since uh, late July. And the focus, um, the focus has been uh, whether a stronger economy could bring uh, more inflationary pressures and more restrictive monetary policy, which then increases 
the risk of a future economic downturn and recession. So paradoxically, uh, the trade-off with good news on strong above-trend economic growth now is that it's potentially bad news for inflation later. So this leads to this sort of good news is bad news narrative that we have been stuck in for a while since, since late summer when third quarter GDP forecasts began to rise. Ultimately, the, you know, the fear is that at some point we may enter into some sort of stagflationary environment or, or at least some sort of stagflationary moment where growth is actually starting to falter, but that the Fed feels compelled nonetheless to maintain restrictive monetary policy for too long. And that, that really became more of an acute fear since uh, the Fed's dot plot was, was uh, released uh, after the meeting last week. Now, this week we had somewhat of a different dynamic at play, not so much, you know, bad news is good, uh, good news is bad news type of thing, but, but still we did have two data points that could play into those fears of a potential stagflationary moment. On Wednesday, U.S. consumer spending for the second quarter came in weaker than expected. Personal consumption for the quarter rose at an annual rate of 0.8%, while the average uh, forecast called for spending to match the prior quarter's rate of 1.7%, so quite a bit below expectations. The other development, also on Wednesday, was the continued surge in oil prices with WTI crude closing around $94 a barrel, the highest levels in over a year. So that combination, Siobhan, of potentially a weaker consumer coupled with a new source of inflation pressure was part of the reason behind the headwinds that we've seen for most of this week. Of course, that sets us up for today. As Barry mentioned, we, we have gotten a bit of a reprieve, a little bit of good news, some relief today, hopefully, with good PCI uh, pricing data uh, that was just released that was uh, that that posted really the smallest monthly rise since late 2020. So that's uh, providing Siobhan a little bit of uh, of relief. Frank, can you share how fixed income markets have been performing, as well as the areas that each of you focus on specifically? Let me start by focusing on the preferred security sector, which is my main area of focus. As you can imagine, the surge in Treasury rates in recent weeks since late July, as Barry pointed out, has really been a headwind for fixed income more broadly, including preferreds. The sector is down by one and a quarter percent so far in September. This follows a loss of about 0.8 percent in August. So we're set to have two uh, monthly losses two back-to-back losses in August and September, but that follows two consecutive monthly gains, small gains, but gains nonetheless in June and July. So overall, the preferred securities sector is up by about 2.5%. Generally, valuations in the preferred sector remain attractive. We've got absolute yields well above historical averages, and that's part of the rationale behind, behind our more favorable view on the sector. We have a most preferred view on the preferred securities sector, and with our more favorable interest rate outlook, current valuations provide attractive entry points here with the potential for impressive 12-month returns. I'd also point out uh, last week I published the latest update, the latest monthly update to the preferred securities top picks lists with specific investment ideas. So uh, I'd encourage uh, listeners interested in the preferred security sector to take a look at that recent update, the preferred securities top pick list. But, Barry, what's your take on recent performance in the fixed income space? Yeah, if I look at the investment-grade credit sector, you really can separate it between the interest rate treasury component and the credit spread component. 
So the credit spread component has been remarkably stable um, month to date. You know, spreads are very much range bound around the 120 basis point uh, level uh, for the investment grade uh, index. And, you know, the factors behind the stability in spreads, I think, is, again, just this, uh, you know, pretty good growth environment. The fact that corporate fundamentals overall still remain uh, generally okay. You're not seeing any deep pockets of distress, especially among the higher quality cohort of companies. And then the supply and demand balance also remains strong with yields now up over 6% for an index of investment grade corporates. Uh, we're at the, you know, the high point of this year in terms of overall yield, um, matching, you know, where we, uh, also witnessed back about a year ago, uh, last autumn, we we're also this high in yield. So, um, you know, when it comes to total returns, though, because treasury yields have moved up, uh, total returns, uh, have amounted, you know, to some uh, modest losses on a month to date basis. IG corporates are down about two and a half percent. That's their worst, worst monthly performance. Uh, since uh, February this year, um, it's really been again the duration component um, because of rates though that that's driving that. Uh, if you compare investment grade corporates versus treasuries um, on a year-to-date basis, you're still in quite solid territory, about 2.7% of uh, extra return that you get from credit spread and and coupon income uh, in, in the investment grade corporate space. So. That's been the observation, again, you know, parsing out the effect that some of the interest rates have had, pushing down prices versus credit spreads, which have been quite stable. So as we begin to look ahead, what is CIO's overall market outlook and what are some events to look for in the week ahead? Yeah, I'd point out we we, uh, did just this week publish the latest edition of the Yield and Income Report on uh, Wednesday, and that kind of walks through our, our latest thinking on uh, at least a dozen different sectors. You get a summary of each, a one-page summary uh, written by the subject matter expert on each page of the document. And ultimately, at CIO, our outlook is that the economy will continue to weaken and it may even slow toward below-trend growth, but still avoid an outright recession. And that'll help also bring down uh, inflation and and continue to uh, bring with it slower in inflation trends. The data this morning from PCE is evidence of 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 that positive trend for the market. And overall, this environment of slower economic growth, slower inflation, lower inflation trends is actually better suited for fixed income investments than equities. So we continue to favor bonds over stocks. Also, I point out that we continue to expect interest rates to generally trend lower from here. Again, we've been in this upward trend for an extended period since late July, but uh, we do expect trends to maintain or to reestablish a bias toward lower rates. We did raise our interest rate targets, though, with our forecast for the 10-year Treasury yield going to 4% at year-end and 3.5% for mid-year 2024, but while these uh, targets have been increased by 50 basis points each, they still reflect our expectation for a bias toward lower rates. Again, 4% year-end, 3.5%, roughly six months beyond that in mid-2024. This trend supports uh, fixed income. Just in terms of uh, next week's economic highlights, so we start a new month 
Uh, so we have the economic data releases associated with the first week of a month. That includes the ISM Manufacturing and Services Index, the JOLTS Jobs Openings Report for the month of August, and then the Non-Farm Payroll uh, September Jobs Report. Um, as it relates to the, the jobs uh, report, I, consensus, it looks like they're looking for a gain of about 168,000 in terms of non-farm payrolls and the unemployment rate to um, be at 3.7%. Now, recall, last month's report um, really was uh, somewhat Goldilocks in terms, you know, of, of the downward revisions that were reported um, for the prior two months. And, you know, that helped the, the trailing three-month average in terms of non-farm payroll gains uh, declined to about 150000 at the same time that uh, wage growth decelerated from the prior month's pace and came in lower than expected. So, you know, that was that was kind of um, Goldilocks as far as, uh, you know, showing some modest cooling in both uh, the job market as well as wages. We'll see if we can, you know, have a repeat again next week, but that'll be um, – probably the most important report of the week will, will occur a week from today. And then, of course, uh, you know, we have this looming threat of a government shutdown. It looks like there's a high probability this is that this is going to happen with no budget in place, you know, to keep the government uh, continuing unless Congress passes a continuing resolution, uh, which it looks like uh, it'll be difficult to come to agreement on that by the deadline. And exactly, you know, what to expect in terms of the, the shutdown um, there is a process by which certain government agencies are deemed to be either essential or non-essential, and generally the essential uh, agencies would continue to be performed, you know, while non-essential uh, ones would not. But I think the big question, you know, for um, for the markets and the public at large really is, you know, how long will the shutdown last? You know, what's the solution to end it? And uh, it's not so clear, um, you know, at this point, um, you know, what uh, that might be. And then you, you do have, uh, you know, Moody's uh, credit rating agency, you know, voicing some concern in a report that came out on Monday, uh, just talking about how, you know, this could put negative pressure on the U.S. credit uh, rating for, um, you know, currently Moody's has a, a AAA rating. Of course, um, we did see Fitch a move to uh, a AA plus uh, at the end of uh, July, beginning of August timeframe. So there's that looming threat that Moody's could follow suit. Uh, I think it's a bit unclear if um, the shutdown itself would provide a trigger for that to happen. Um, but either way, you know, it just uh, that's kind of looming in, in the background as well. So, so yeah, so definitely, you know, chock full of uh, data and events that we'll be looking at in the week ahead. Perfect. Thank you so much for that update, Barry. And thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks very much. Again, today we have been joined by Barry McAlinden and Frank Saleo, fixed income strategist from the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our listeners, Top of the Morning is a part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the UBS training video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Siobhan Chapman, and thank you for joining us.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.